0: 20 minutes a day. 365 days a year. This is the Pack A Day Podcast.
1: What's going on, Packer fans? Welcome back to an all-new Mike Wall Friday here on the Pack A Day Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. You know my guest already. He's the one and only Mike Wall. You can follow him on Twitter at MikeWall68. Mike Wall68. Mike. I'm sure we were uh, hoping to talk about a little different stuff this week after a Packers-Giants Monday night football game, hoping to continue the winning streak. I saw you posted over on Twitter that uh, your son thought it was going to be a trap game. Apparently he was right. I'd love to hear your thoughts on trap games in general, but Mm -hmm. how are you doing? And uh, I guess let's talk about some Packers-Giants.
2: Yeah, doing well. Uh, Trap games in general are a real thing. Uh, People do overlook that. Somebody asked me a question today. Why Why do you fall into that trap? And the truth is a lot of athletes are still ex- extrinsically motivated. So not every athlete is intrinsically motivated as much as you think they would be. You're not playing up to the best standards of yourself. You're sometimes you are playing to deliver your competition. And that's a, uh, that's something that the Packers seem to fall into a little bit this last week.
1: Yeah, it certainly was definitely disappointing. And it's kind of been that way all season long when they've played some lesser competition outside of maybe the bears game. And I guess the Rams, when they had Brett Rippon at quarterback, Uh, They've played some not great football. And when they've played some rather good competition, specifically lions chiefs, you know, I know the chargers haven't exactly been great, but you're still going up against Justin Herbert. They played much better. And I was a little worried about that giants game going in for that exact reason. It felt like there was this, uh, like not real, but uh, almost a turn of the page of going from that stretch of games of Pittsburgh chargers, um, you know, obviously, and then the, the Lions and the Chiefs to now all of a sudden you've got a bunch of games that had a combined, I think it was 20 and 40 record going into that game. And it's like, how do they handle that? How do they respond to it? And clearly the answer, at least Monday night was not great. The, uh,
2: the thing that was, the thing that happens in, in, in during the course of the season, and you got to remember Jordan Love and this group is really young. And a lot of people got really excited when you know, they're on the winning streak, and Jordan's not throwing any picks. But if you're watching film, you know, like I put it on my show all the time, he throws off his back foot a lot. A lot of his balls aren't really good. He threw up that fourth and one to Dobbs in the, I forgot what game that was, where he, it was probably everyone go, oh, so what a, what a brave, you got to throw it to catch it. It's true, but it's a bad ball. Yeah. And those things, like you revert to the mean, like those things catch up with you in the National Football League. And what happened this week was, those all those throws didn't work. All of a sudden, like all the gimme throws, it was all of a sudden really difficult. It wasn't put in a place where the guy can run after the catch. through some under, threw some balls. The contested balls that Christian Watson had been catching weren't caught. Maybe they were picked off. Maybe they maybe just underthrown and they were knocked to the ground. That kind of stuff is like it's good that they're having success and learning. But then when when it comes crashing back down, you realize like, wow, we got a long ways to go. Nothing's really changed. It's just sometimes those plays get made and sometimes they don't. Like the margin for error with this team is actually razor thin because they don't have just, you know, Aaron Jones is out. They don't have this outstanding talent at left tackle anymore. Like they're not in an offensive line. I'm just talking about offensively. They They have some, yeah. like they do have some real things they have to think about. They're doing a great job of, You know, using Jaden Reed, not only just with motion to identify coverages and and fronts, but also to get him the ball more often because he seems to be the biggest playmaker on the team when Watson's not around or Aaron Jones isn't around. So, like, Matt LaFleur is still coaching for the last four games, in my mind, really, really good offensive game plans. This one, the quarterback in particular, but uh, along the offensive line, you know, really everybody didn't do as good a job at executing, so people are kind of scratching their heads. But it really isn't that much different than the other games except for some of these passes that, you know, guys like me look at and go, ah, eh, it really wasn't a good ball. And people are like, no, you're hating on them. I'm like, no, I'm not. It's just, these aren't really good balls. It just isn't. And so now it, it kind of catches up. And it's like, we have a lot of work to do. It's okay, it's okay, but that's that's how the ball bounces sometimes.
1: So much that I want to take from that. I actually want to start with the, the play calling standpoint because early in the year when nothing was working, everyone wanted to point to play calling. And I, at the time I was very much, I'm like, well, they're calling run plays, and there's like three guys in the backfield immediately. They're calling screen plays, and they're not going anywhere. They're throwing a lot down the field, and nobody's coming up with the ball down the field. I'm like, what What left is on the play sheet that you want to call? Because I'm like, he's, he's trying everything, and there's not really anything working. Now, Matt, Fleur, Matt LaFleur, the coach, has shoulders blame for that. But Matt LaFleur, the play caller, I'm not sure what he could have called at times early in the season that was necessarily going to work. And then you go into that middle portion of the season, specifically during the three game win streak. And he's calling all the same, a lot of the same stuff or at least, you know, similar stuff and it's all working. And it's like, Oh my goodness, the play calling's amazing. It's like, well, they're executing now. And then he's calling a lot of similar stuff against the giants and it's not going well. It's like, well, they're not executing. I think you, I can't remember if you mentioned it as well on the two point play. I know Matt LaFleur talked about it. Um, I know I talked about it. It's a tough play because you need a lot of things to go right in order to execute on it. But if, you know uh, Malik Heath and, and Elton Jenkins are able to make the two blocks on the play. I do think he ultimately walks in the end zone, probably for a touchdown. Um, but yeah, it's just like if if they execute on offense, guess what? The play
2: calling starts starts looking a whole heck of a lot better. Yeah, certainly with regards specifically to that two point play, um, you, you have you have guys that are crucial parts of critical part of block critical parts of blocks in a, in an area of the field where there's no other options for them in their position. So, like, you have, like, Billy Keith, for example, has to down block. Yep. And, like, that's not his areas of, an area of expertise. And there's also not a chance that he's going to run a deep crosser because you're on the two. So that that's the interesting part of that play call. Elton Jenkins, like, listen, I don't know if he has the option to run around, like, to pull, but, like, there's no way. I, I played left guard. There's no way yeah, he's making that, that block. Spot is hard. Yeah, there's there's no way he's making that. that I don't care how good he is. Like, he's not making that block the way that the way that it's drawn up. So yeah, that's that's probably a call that, that LaFleur would like to have back or at least have an option for like Elgin to Elgin to, to run around because if he does run around it, it is a walk-in. But to your point, part of the experience of calling plays and understanding this what's going on is is understanding what your guys are good at. and it's impossible to know after you know two and a half preseason games or whatever. Uh, with a first year quarterback, you know, first year second year wide receivers, first year tight ends, uh, what is going to work and then what they can like what they can actually consume from an information standpoint because I think that he has evolved as a play caller. Jaden Reed's a probably the most obvious example, but he's evolved as a play caller for the for the beginning of the season, but what to your point what probably has evolved more is they're not making stupid mistakes in execution. I always talk about, you know, you have to identify, you have to communicate, and you have to execute. And of the three prior games to this, I think it's fair to say that across the board, the team's doing a much better job of identifying, communicating, and executing. Now, this last game, Jordan Love wasn't executing very well. Yeah. And if you just look at the the fade to Dobbs at the end of the game, where he stopped he stopped everybody. I think it was Dobbs it was on the left side, singled up. Um, he stops everybody. He gives nonverbal communication that it's going to be go out. I know. I know what they're going to run. I'm sure everybody, on, you know, who's watched film before knows what he's going to run. And he he takes three steps. He hitches instead of just letting the ball go. And he underthrows another pass. And it's like the play's there. So you identified it. You communicated it. You just didn't execute. And that's not the fault of the play caller. Now is that the fault of the footwork coach? Yeah, a little bit. Because at some point you got to get better at this stuff but that's a, probably a different uh, conversation. Yeah, I
1: think Toure on the on the deep Correct. ball. Um, yep. But yeah, totally agreed. And yeah, that, I kind of want to transition there too, Jordan Love because you you hit on a lot of it already. It's it, it, a lot of the fundamental stuff, the footwork, the extra hitch, not throwing off his back foot. Like some of that stuff has shown up in random ways throughout the course of the season, but it's been there all season. It does feel like if he is in rhythm and it's one, two, three out, one, two, three, four, five out, and it's like again within rhythm of everything, mm-hmm. it does feel like the footwork, the consistency is much, much better. When anything starts to go a little bit more at lib or off platform or off schedule, then it seems like there's times where he's either like almost voluntarily throwing with bad mechanics, which is interesting, and mm-hmm. not necessarily following what I'm sure his QB coach and all of his, you know, technician coaches through the offseason season are, are training him on. It just feels like there needs to be a much greater level of consistency. I think that's probably something that has to take, you know, place probably in the off season. It's just not just going to happen overnight.
2: I, 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 that's the way the NFL coaches think, and I, I wholeheartedly disagree with that. I mean, can, okay. it's it's not an overnight thing, but certainly it's a two week it's a two week fix. You just have to like you have to be willing to take the time out of your day to fix it. And, and honestly, most most coaches won't because they're worried about scheme and setup. Um, but it started this week with, I think he threw, it was like a third and two and he threw it. He was throwing a, throw a hitch down to the right and he just like started running backwards and throwing forwards. His feet are all crossed over and he doesn't hit the guy. And you're just going like, there's, I've seen Russell Wilson doing the wet ball drill in Seattle, you know, for years and years and years. And every time, and you know, I'm not a Russell Wilson like, you know, fan or anything, but he, perfect form every single time, every play in practice. And you watch that and you go, dude, what are you doing? Like, of course you're going to not complete that pass. It was a ter- – that was just – it was so egregious. And it's like some of this stuff is – I don't know if it's – you know, we call this arm arrogance because, like, my I'm, my arm's so good I can overcome a lot of it. Yeah. Um, I think what people like, kind of get screwed up on with, like, Brett and watching Aaron is – you don't look at the footwork. You look at the way the hips come around when you throw the football and nobody was better at it really than those two guys, like their footwork. You know, you could talk about, did you get to the spot you wanted? Well, if you ever watch Brett step into a throw, like nobody stepped into a throw like Brett Favre. Now what he did after the throw and running away from not getting, you know, rolled up on everything that was different. Nobody steps into throws like that. I mean, as well as he does, he's really good. He was really good at that stuff. And with Jordan, it's, I, I would say this, I, I think that it. If you watch every single snap this year of him throwing, I would say that whether it's on schedule, off schedule, it's a coin flip whether or not his feet are going to be good, right? Because that throw or a five yard out, like what? Are, what is he bad at? Like right now, we not bad at, but he needs to work on various areas of improvement. It's like five yard outs, right? Five yard, ten yard outs across across his body and deep balls, and all of those are kind of basic throws right and they're not like those aren't throws that you're you know you're going like oh man that was amazing he just made that five yard oh man he just threw a fade ball like those are kind of basic throws for high school quarterbacks right and so the footwork thing is usually systemic in in everything that they do so like he has jordan has footwork that needs to be worked on everywhere now whether or not it's whether or not he does better on the move, whether or not he does better with timing or, you know, all that stuff is like we can argue that, but it doesn't really matter. Like the, the, the fact is, if they don't fix it, then it is going to be an offseason problem. But my thing is, this can be – if this is brought up as like this is the number one thing we're going to fix right now, it'll get fixed Like because yeah. they're pros and they want to. The, the problem is a lot of times during the season – you sit here and you go, oh, we got to worry about Tampa Bay. You know, is Antoine Winfield Jr. coming in this play or not? Like, you have to worry about that? And they're like, just get rid of the ball. You know, you know where to throw it. Put it here, blah, 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 blah. And they'll, they'll spend like their two and a half minutes of individual work doing something. Maybe footwork, maybe not. But it's not really given the attention it deserves.
1: Yeah, definitely needs to be a point of emphasis moving forward because it really feels like the main thing that's kind of holding him back from really reaching his potential moving forward. I want to talk about a little bit more on the defensive side of the ball. I thought actually for the first like two, maybe two and a quarter quarters, it wasn't actually that bad. Um, it really was fine up until the Keyshawn Nixon fumble and then they immediately go down and score a touchdown and things kind of unraveled from there. But Green Bay's had a propensity, especially when they get a lead late in the game, to allow the team to go down and score immediately. And it's kind of more some of those situational um, scenarios where it really is a little bit more glaring. Happened in uh, multiple times this season where they were up in the fourth and gave up the lead should have happened another time against the saints where they had the lead and Winston goes down and they get in field goal range. They just happen to miss the field goal this week. They don't miss the field goal. They get closer field goal range and um, they didn't get the stops when they needed it to your evaluation of this Packers defense, where they're at so far this season, and maybe more importantly in some of those clutch situations.
2: (sighs) The Packers, they what was the number one goal is to stop Saquon Barkley, and, you know, make this a one-dimensional game, and they did that. Like I think, you know, for two and a half quarters, really, they did that. Actually, but you know, right, but the the play before he fumbled, he had a long run, he had that long run, he fumbled, but they had done a great job. The other thing was don't let the quarterback escape towards the line of scrimmage, and I think the problem with this, like Jordan Love has a footwork thing, and it can be fixed. The Green Bay Packers have a tackling issue, and. Yeah when are you going to fix it? And the green Bay Packers have a run fit or communication issue like RPOs. It wasn't, didn't happen a lot, but when it happened, it was glaring. Yep. Um, uh, brush lanes didn't happen a lot, but uh, you know, we were talking about why are we high side of Tommy DeVito? Where's he going to escape to towards a lot of scrimmage? Like he's, you could literally drop back and he drop back in that game you go, and you would literally go, Oh, he's, he's running the football. Like this is, it's not a designed run, but he's running the football. Take because off. yeah. Cause there's, there's, there's no reason not to. So, the, the frustrating thing, I, I think, about Green Bay from a defensive standpoint is you see all these pieces that you go, okay, Kenny's a good player. Preston's a good player. Sean's a good player. If Andrew Campbell was second team all pro or all pro two years ago, you know, uh, McDuffie's a good player in the right, you know, uh, why are they not, like, why does this continue to happen? And it's just the, the thing, the word that comes back all the time are the two words for me are attitude and discipline. And those things, I think, are, are part of your, cult, your fabric of culture that go through, that permeate through the locker room, the meeting rooms, and, and, the, and, the, and the field. How the coaches communicate with you, how you communicate with one another. And I honestly think without getting to, you know, this is one game and all this stuff, but you look at this team as a, in general compared to what the expectations are, I would say that they probably have some sort of, like, mental block between what they they think they could be and what they know they should be. And I, I don't know how to fix that, you know, out, ex- externally outside of that room. But I can tell you this. If you just spent uh, a real forcible amount of time studying and understanding why you're missing tackles and improving on that, like I took the Miami Dolphins one year. We, we – I, I took over the tackling um, for the team. We were like 65% efficient in tackling. It was awful. Two weeks later – just by shining a light on it, five minutes a day, three times a week. Okay, we improve tackling twenty percentage points, and for the rest of the year. And it's like I'm not a magician, right? You just shine a light on a problem, and pro, like pro athletes want to fix a problem. So if they're getting embarrassed because they're missing something, you're like, "Hey, I know how to fix this. Let's just work on it." They'll fix it. So if, if you're not getting better at something, there's a, there's a reason. And if it's not if it's not the staff or the or the or the or the, the practice system that is going to allow you to improve, the dude, you got to do it on your own. I mean, it's, it's, it's just one of those things. And it's frustrating because there's a lot of talent on that side of the football.
1: When you talk about fundamentals, I think that's one of the keys and tackling goes right there with it. I also want your thoughts on, I don't feel like this is a very attacking defense. It feels like they're more backup, keep everything in front of them. They're not, I, I wonder, like, I'm sure every defender to a tee, wants to play a more physical attacking style of defense. You're talking about there being maybe a mental block of like what they can be and what they should be. I, I, I wonder in today's NFL if you can just consistently play that same kind of vanilla, kind of backing up style of defense, a little bit more passive, not as aggressive. And if you just don't lose some of the players' intensity and focus and everything, because it's you're, it almost feels like it's on autopilot. It almost feels like, all right, we're just going to back up, do the same things, keep everything in front of us. I feel like, like, look what Minnesota is doing right now and playing a very attacking style, like exotic blitzes coming from different areas of the field. I just don't see that same creativity and imagination. I'm sure there are players on that defense that would love a little bit more of that to be able to, I don't, know, maybe feel alive every now and again. If nothing else, it just feels like it. Meet like when you say attitude, and when you say there's that mental block, like that's what I kind of immediately go to. Of can you consistently play this style of defense and actually get. Really impressive results over the course of a year.
2: The last, let's say, the last five years in the National Football League, the trend was, you know, you know, for a lot of teams was to give, you know, Ben and not break. Yeah, so I, I, I'm just going to look at the. I think the Tampa Bay numbers, even on their defense, like they're 13th in the league on defense. But if you look at like their yards given up, they give up like you know 29th in the league or something. Like that. It's not very good. I don't remember what the number. Is yep. the point is there's a lot of teams that are like that. The, the the problem with the the pack or the the thing that's unique about the Packers and you see this a lot in the National Football League is. The defensive coordinator is looking at, one, he's got a system that he wants to run. And that's the first and foremost. Like, are you willing to change systems? Are you going to run the system that you want to run? And then the second thing is, if you're running the system you want to run and you all of a sudden don't feel confident in some of the players, let's say they just think you need two shutdown corners, you need to be like Miami's defense with those, you know, Jalen Ramsey and, and, and Xavier wow. Howard in order to play the, the defense you want to play. If you don't have them, is that is what does that mean? Does that mean that you just can't run that anymore? Or are you just going to play softball? Like – you, you have to be able to adjust to what you have, but you also have to be not playing for – and I'm not saying that this is what happens, it, specifically with the Green Bay, but this is a general statement. As a coach, you have to be not coaching for your job every week. You have to be coaching to win every week. And I think a lot of guys are like, well, I don't trust this player, so we're going to do this. And we know that this isn't what we really want to do, but this is how – that is a real problem to me because it permeates through the room and and people feel that right. They feel that they're not like we're not good enough to do what you want to do or we're playing. Why are we playing this soft defense? Like I'm a good player. Why do you have me playing this? But I I, I, I do want to say this because if you watch um, if you watch Isaiah McDuffie, who's not the most skilled guy in the world, as they make him to spend as much time on the other side of a lot of scrimmage as he can. Now, there's downsides to that, certainly. You can run more RPO stuff based off the linebacker just You know, you can, they did it in the game. Like, there's things that you can do because of that. But if you're just talking, like, guys that want to take on blocks, you have a lot of players on this team that don't want to take on blocks. Not a lot, but you have enough at key positions yeah. that aren't guys that just go downhill and take on blocks. And if you're not that kind of player, if you're more of a rangy athletic player, Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen are probably the two best linebackers in the game right now, as far as tandems and Baltimore Ravens guys, right? They will, they can kind of do whatever you want. You want to play physical? I'll play physical. You want me to slip a block? I'll slip a block. You want me to run you over? I'll run you over. If you don't have those kind of guys at the second level, it's really tough to enforce your personality on these different programs because. I can always figure out how to block your defense, like your defensive line. I don't care how good you are. I can figure out how to block. It's the secondary guys. It's the it's the Derek Brooks and the Sheldon Quarles guys. Like we're going to make it impossible for this to work. And if you don't have guys that are like you're going to double team, fine. I'm going to knock a block off one of your, you you know your, the second player on the double, or I'm going to knock the block off your, your running back in the backfield. If you don't have those guys, it's really really tough to enforce. You can use a safety and and kind of try to make it happen, but we don't have that either. So there's a couple of different things going on there, but I think you really need to celebrate aggression and celebrate playing downhill and get that idea flowing through, but it has to start with that coordinator, and you have to have the guys that really believe they can do that at a high level. So you guys have probably noticed by now that the Packaday podcast is 365 days a year,
1: and we've now been doing this for over five years. You've probably also noticed that I haven't missed too many episodes over the years, and let me tell you, that isn't by mistake. The truth is, before I started the podcast, I used to get sick way more often. I figured at the time that it was just happenstance, wrong place, wrong time, maybe ran into someone with the wrong germ, and I got sick. What the heck was I supposed to do about it? Then I had a friend recommend to me a vitamin regimen that helped my immune system, and ever since I started to boost in my immune system, my instances of being sick drastically decreased. Turns out wasn't always just happenstance after all. When I was sick, I wasn't feeling focused. I felt sluggish and that led me to fall behind on my work and left me stressed out. Me taking vitamins helped, but then I ran into a different problem. Taking multiple vitamins every day was becoming a hassle and I figured there had to be an easier way. That's when I started drinking AG1. When I started drinking AG1 daily, I not only continued to boost my immune system, I also had more energy and was able to replace all of my multivitamins. That's because AG1 is a foundational nutritional supplement that supports your body's universal needs like gut optimization, stress management, and immune support. Since 2010, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition, continuously refining their formula to create a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline health. Not only did I replace my multivitamin with AG1, but I love that every scoop also includes prebiotics, probiotics, and digestive enzymes for gut support. That's why I'm proud to have AG1 as a sponsor for the Packaday podcast. AG1 is the supplement that I trust to provide the support my body needs daily. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash packaday. That's drinkag1.com slash packaday. Check it out. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's the holiday season and in our family we're gearing up to get all of our holiday shopping completed so we can have those magical moments of giving the gifts that people are going to love and we can see the joy on their faces when they open those gifts. As a father of a 6 and 10 year old, those moments are magical and they mean a ton to me. Now, you and your family may have different holidays or different traditions, but one thing remains the same. You get to define how you give to yourself this holiday season and this holiday season is the perfect time to do just that. You could treat yourself to a Maybe make your favorite meal for dinner, or maybe the best gift of all could be a gift of therapy. As I've talked about in the past, therapy has been a huge benefit to me and my walk in life. As much as we want to put life on cruise control and act like everything is perfect, the fact remains that life is hard and you don't have to walk that journey all by yourself. As soon as I realized that is when my life took a turn for the better. Therapy has helped me focus, it's helped me avoid negative triggers, and it's helped me enjoy the little things in my everyday life. If you're thinking about starting therapy this holiday season, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be ultra convenient, and can be suited to your own unique schedule. In this season of giving, give yourself what you need with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com packaday to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P packaday. Hey there. I'm sure you've heard a ton about daily fantasy sports, but I'm here to tell you that you've never experienced anything quite like prize picks. With basketball season here, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the specials league, a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, LeBron James plus Travis Kelsey at a 10.5 combo of three points made plus receptions. Even more fun yet? Do you want to play alongside some of Prize Picks' favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz? You can now find community plays under the promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the Prize Picks community each week. I've had so much fun making Prize Picks a part of my daily fantasy sports routine. They cover all of my favorite sports, have a ton of variety and different options to choose from, and the player choices are immense. Prize picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Totally great. I think it was this past week where Patrick Queen just ran through a offensive, or I think it was an offensive lineman. and just It went could and be made any week. Play. I mean, that's how yeah, they it's, are. It's yeah. probably true. It's very probably true. But yeah, he's he's had an impressive season this year and really has come along through the course of his career. I want to ask you about two rookies and just your overall impressions. I'll start with defense since we're talking about defense right now. Your thoughts on Lucas Van Ness? First round pick, top 15 guy. See the athleticism, but uh, got got a little bit run over in a red zone play this week and mm-hmm. kind of has his ups and downs. What are your impressions of him so far?
2: I have the exact same thought process that I did before the draft, when I watched him on tape and it's, it's like a uh, Iowa kid probably going to be good in a couple years. Shocked that he was a 13th pick in the draft has, has no pass rush moves, plays really hard. They put him in a two point stance and he's not good in it. He's much better at a three point. He plays with better leverage. Like his like like his intensity. I'm sure I would love his intangibles, um, as as far as personality, you know, loving the game and all that. Okay, he looks like he yeah. wants to play, like all that stuff. I have no question about that. I just question your preparedness for being a, a a huge impact player at the 13th pick in the draft. And nothing's changed. I think I think a couple of years from now you might go, well, is he's he really you really got something here." I think it's just as likely as you're looking a couple of years from now going. That guy's a really solid player. He's never going to have more than seven sacks in a year. And six of them are going to be effort sacks.
1: I'm with you. And I'm I'm hoping it's a similar trajectory to Rashawn Gary, where it takes a couple seasons and uh, puts it together. But I'm with you. It's been, I don't even know what word I want to use for it. It's, it, it's just a, it's the exact same thing we saw at Iowa. We knew it was going to take some time. There's no pass rush plan. There's no counters. There's no nothing. Great size, great speed, great everything, great intangibles, like you said, but. Everything else needs a lot of polish and a lot of work right now. going to go to the other side of the ball, somebody that I thought had a really nice week this week—four catches, sixty-four yards—continues to get better as a blocker. Looks lost in training camp as a blocker, does not look quite as lost anymore. Tucker Craft, really nice week this week. Your impressions of him so far through the season?
2: Yeah, certainly it helps that Musgrave's hurt. I think for his development, just gets more okay. reps. More reps, you're going to you're just going to you're going to ascend at a higher rate. Um, thank you. Listen, there's 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 people that were picked around that position, you know, that time in the draft that that I think nothing against Tucker Kraft I would be probably excited about having on this on this football team. Um, Tucker is. Uh, it's always hard with tight ends because, like Tucker Craft had four for sixty four. I think he had a forty three yard catch in the game. Um, but usually with tight ends, like you, you're either a a guy who really separates and, and creates one-on-one opportunities, which he's not really that guy. Like he cut some yep. good plays in zone and then, you know, run after the catch is great. Um, and I'm not dismissing any of it. So let's just be clear about that. I'm not bad him at all, but there's not, it's, it's not like you're putting him out there against the slot nickel or like the safety and be like, man, he's just beating him one-on-one for fade routes. It's like, that's not happening. Yep. And then so, and then, so it's like, well, what are you bringing to the table? Because it almost it's in offenses is kind of a niche position now. Right. It's like, how many? Exactly. There's not a lot of Gronkowskis. There's not a lot of Kittles. Like the reason Kittles Kittle because there's nobody else like him. Like there's, you know, even Mark Andrews is not quite there, right? Whereas there's a guy who can literally do everything. And so, I'm ho- my hope is that 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 Tucker Craft continues to improve as a blocker because I think the I think the pass catching game you, you kind of see what he's going to be get open and zone. probably not a big threatened man, not going to be like a matchup guy, not going to be a guy you got circled on your calendar. But if you could play every down because you're really, like you're Bubba Franks, like Bubba Franks is the same guy, right? Bubba's just yep. a better blocker, probably a little bit better receiver. Bubba's a little bit better than him at his rookie year. But Bubba could just kind of do everything pretty darn well, and he becomes extremely valuable. And you're kind of hoping with Tucker Craft, like I would say the ceiling for Tucker is probably Bubba, which is a really high ceiling, by the way. You know, so if if he can become that kind of player where you you don't ever have to take him off the field, that's a huge win for Green Bay.
1: Yeah, I'm hoping it trends in that direction as well. And what I'm most excited about is the potential tandem with Musgrave and Kraft, if those guys can continue to develop. And Musgrave can be more of your receiving tight end. Kraft can be a little bit more of your well-rounded overall tight end. Again, they both have things that they need to improve upon to get there. But I think you could have a really fun one-two punch with Musgrave and Kraft long term.
2: Yeah, no doubt, and the thing what what you know, casual fans might not understand is like why do, like why do you care if there's two two tight ends? Well, it screws up the defense, yeah, like, really, really bad. And so the defense has to figure out do they want to bring out an extra linebacker, extra defensive like what do they want to do to counter having two tight ends in the game that can actually do the job? Like if you bring Kyle Pitts when Atlanta goes goes um, twelve personnel, they run eleven. They're just running yep. nickel. It doesn't count. Kyle Pitts doesn't play. He, he's not a receiver. When Travis yeah. Kelsey's in the game. The Kansas City Chiefs aren't getting uh, base defense against Travis Kelsey. They don't care because Travis Kelce is not a blocker. Okay, so you want to have guys that can do both. I can line up in like a heavy front with a, with two tight ends, one hipped off, and I can run the ball all day. And oh, by the way, both those guys can run go routes on my on my safeties. If you can get two guys like that, which I think the the reason the Packers drafted both these players because they see in the future that's the potential. You have. And I mean, an absolutely incredible mismatch because what that does—I'm just—I know you know this was for for your fans—is yep. you put those guys in the game and they go base defense. They're going to have to play single safety. And one safety now, whoever's on the outside, Christian Watson. You basically have you just throw one more guy in the backfield. You have go routes is all you can eat. You're going to have like five single singled up matchups on the outside all day, and all you need is three. Right? you get three matchups outside with three big balls. You know, you you get a pi and two two catches. That changes the complexion of the game. So that's the that's the chess match that's being played here by Goody first and foremost.
1: It's I'm smiling because I did a members only video probably two hours before this uh, talking about Tucker Craft and if Craft and Musgrave can develop how they'll start running a ton of. 12 personnel, and it could be a massive mismatch because teams will have to figure out how to play. Now, again, they both have a ways to go before they're that mismatch pieces that they need it to be and how defenses defend that will be interesting. But um, that's the vision. The vision is there. Now they just have to go out and continue to get better and continue to execute it. And it could be, could be, stress could be a lot of fun moving forward. All right, real quickly, a couple last things. Uh, Bucks Packers, what are you looking for this weekend?
2: Well, I, I think that the Bucks have a good defense, and they like to bring pressure. They bring a lot of pressure out of, uh, out of bunch looks, out of tight looks. Antoine Woodfield's always kind of, even though he plays free safety, he's kind of always around the ball, always around the line of scrimmage. He's going to be in pressure. So how are the Green Bay Packers going to continue to use motion and formations to kind of identify what those guys are going to be doing pre-snap? I think that's probably first and foremost of of, of importance. We don't know if Vea is going to play. He's one of the better players. You know, run-stopping defensive guys in the league, and he's unblockable one-on-one and pass rush as well. Excuse me, but you know he's got a toe thing. Uh, Kalijah see I really like him, 94. He's the uh, rookie from Pitt. He's been playing at a high level. So I think when you look at Packers' offense versus this defense, they're missing their two starting corners, but they still have Winfield. Uh, they, they still KJ Britt's been playing good for, for Devin White. I mean, there's, they've still got a really good, what I just call elite mindset defense. Like these guys have been to the Super Bowl. They've been to the promised land. Like they know how good they are. They, they're not afraid to make mistakes. They play hard. They played this Todd Bowles pressure scheme defense. They'll mix up coverages at the snap. So it's absolutely mission critical for For Jordan Love and these receivers, maybe first and foremost is to get on the same page pre snap and just have answers for all this, all the pressure you're going to be seeing. Because early answers kind of kind of discourages what they want to do over the course of the game. And then on the other side of the ball, it's like Baker Mayfield. It feels like a journeyman, you know. Even though he was the first round pick, you know, it's like I I was making a joke this morning. Like if you if he would have never done prudential commercials, imagine what he could have been. You know what I mean? Because he was he started off his his career pretty well, and he's a really smart guy. He can get to his fourth and fifth read. Mike Evans is the name of the game over there. It's like, how are you going to treat him? Are you going to try to double him? Because if you try to double him, last week the Falcons did that a little bit, and it was it became problematic in the run game. They, they started to give up a lot of yards running. I think they ran for 148 last week. They're not a good running football team. But if you're going to disrespect an NFL team by only putting six in the box, Rashad White's a good running back. Justin Werfs is one of the best tackles in the game. Like They can just run with no tight ends in the game, just open it up and do whatever they want, I think, up front, even though – you would think on paper the green bay packers defensive line is 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 the superior matchup. So this game is going to come down to really a couple of things, you know, a couple of things for me. Number one is is the are the green bay packers going to be able to to really d- use that motion to identify the fronts? Number two, are we going to be able to communicate our way out of some of the problems we had last week, maybe most importantly in the past rush. Like we, you have to be able to keep Baker Mayfield running away from the line of scrimmage is the, I mean, it's the easiest thing in the world, but you got to be able to do it. And then number three, like, are we ever going to get to the point with this team where you feel confident that you can call a running play for AJ Dillon and get more than four yards? Yeah.
1: I am with you. Like, I think, I was just talking about this too on our Q and A a little bit ago. Is like they just need a little bit more explosiveness in that running game. And Aaron Jones practiced today, as we're talking uh, on Thursday. Maybe this is the week that they can get a little something out of Aaron Jones, which I think would be huge. Going back to Baker Mayfield, I think not only the commercials, but but they get he gets acts Jackson his rookie season. I think he gets either gets fired midway through or early the next year. Freddie Kinchins takes over, and then you've got uh, Stefanski. Like he goes through, I think that- three offensive. three offensive coordinators immediately then has a cup of coffee with the Rams and Sean McVay and then goes to, Carolina, um, there's somewhere, right? Yeah, Carolina. Sorry, Carolina first goes to Carolina with that nightmare of a you know franchise right now. Then goes has a couple coffee with the Rams and McVay and now is with Tampa in that offense. So It's like he's been in the league for like you say, like the journeyman aspect of it for like five or six years. I think he's had like seven off, six or seven offensive coordinators or different offensive minds that have been telling him. I, I feel like that's one of those where you always go back and say like, if a player had like a different team that he went to in a consistent oh. structure, maybe a couple of years to develop. That would have been one with Baker Mayfield that I would have been really interested if he had one consistent coach, maybe he had a year or two to sit behind someone just didn't work that way. He's a talented player, but never really came all together. And on the defensive side, really quick, before I let you respond to that, uh, Antoine Winfield, sneaky free agent want for me in the off season. I don't oh, think yeah. they should go like all out and like do like a ton of signings, but one really impact signing, especially on defense. It, it, they have no – Safety is basically under contract besides Anthony Johnson Jr. and Zane Anderson. They go big game hunting, and Antoine Winfield signed me up for him as safety in the offseason.
2: Yeah, that's an interesting one. You know, just because I, my mind always goes back to Brian Branch, and I know he's not, he's kind of a hybrid. He's like the star player at Alabama and whatnot, but, uh, the, I think there's a, a really a really good number of safeties for some reason coming out of college football right now because they're asked to do so much in the college football game that that could be another option. But, yeah, Anton Winfield Jr. is a really good player. You're right about Baker Mayfield, though. It's, it's so funny. I tell people this because I, I had the pleasure of being to work for Green Bay and then going to Carolina, then going to Seattle, which is a, ph- a phenomenal organization, and then working as a coach on the other side going down to Miami. And just that was a complete for a lot of those years, it was a dumpster fire. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And it's not any one person's, it's, it's the culture of the organization and it starts at the top. And you tell, I used to tell guys like when they got traded or somebody and they get treated to a good team, I'm like, dude, you're about to go, you're gonna about to understand how the other half lives, you know, where you actually have a chance to develop. You actually have a, 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 an organization that is first and foremost, worried about winning but the way they're going to win is they're going to win for over the long term because they're going to make you a better player or they're going to they're going to at least put you in positions to be successful and some of these places do and some of them don't you look at like cleveland was a great example of and carolina right now is a great example of you know you have you have ownership that is doesn't have the foresight despite as much success that they've had in other aspects of their lives they just don't have the foresight to look into what makes organizations great and it's not always number crunching it's people and you if you hire the wrong people you always have problems so yeah i'm with you on baker man i I was a big fan of his coming out of college and i've I've been kind of you know i make the prudential joke but you it's it's kind of been a uh uh, a a sad story for a guy that could have could have been a lot more i think if he had had better opportunities I'm right there with you uh, really quick before I get you out of here hip
1: drop tackle being looked at by the league. I think Roger Goodell says uh, they should look at it and, and look at potentially eliminating it. Is it a possible B doable and C should they even look
2: at it in the first place? I, I used to do uh, meetings with um, a bunch of guys that are in the league and uh, last year, and we talked about this. And I actually did a presentation on it because the rotational force of a hip drop tackle. So for people who don't know, you know, imagine you were wrestling down a bull. Like our steer, you going to you go to the rodeo, you you, you grab, they grab onto this the young steer and they swing in front of its legs. Right. So they put all the pressure on its neck. Well, what does that do? That drops the center of gravity in front of that steer. Right. But on that rotational force, all of a sudden you have a, a huge multiple of, of force or power going going down on you on that body. Right. But in that case, everything's already going forward. So you just fall down. When it happens with a uh, hip drop tackle, the the problem they have is not when the legs swing in front; it's when the legs swing behind. So there's two things happening: one, an incredible multiple of force production is occurring on the lower limbs of that person who's carrying the ball, who's 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 taking that that hit, and then two, you're adding to that some pressure, some direct pressure put on by that the, the, the the tackler's body, and so the chances for injury are just astronomically higher in a hip drop tackle than any other tackle. And it's really never been used up until the last couple of years. Like it's the reason that it's not, a, it's never really been considered is because nobody really ever did it. Um, and, and now, unfortunately, this is the thing with the NFL. Do you want me to rant for a minute? Cause I, I Yeah, go okay. for it. Okay. So, Mine's so, all yours. So, so here's what here's what happens with the NFL. The NFL says, I want to play 18 games. The owners want 18 games. So they go, okay. What do we need to do? Well, we need to we need to put this out that we're really about player safety. And so they go, oh, the helmets, the head concussions. This and that. a bad movie comes out. CT, okay, we got to do the concussion thing. So we work on helmets, and then we we start protecting the quarterback because we know the quarterbacks are bread and butter, and nobody wants to watch games with bad quarterbacks in. Okay, so we start doing that. Oh, we don't want to. We want to legislate violence out of defense because we don't want our our fantasy football players hurt because the game is about betting. So we do, So we do that. Last year. All the while, by the way, they won't change the field turf because apparently that, you know, and, and they manufacture bogus reports about field turf, which have been since rescinded because they understand that field turf is cheaper than grass and easier to maintain. So now, last year, we're talking with some people that are higher up in the NFL going, you know, putting together the presentation going, why aren't you addressing this? Like, this is actually a really, a real problem. And I'm a rugby guy and I'm a football guy and I don't want to change anything, but I'm looking at yeah. this like, this is a real problem. Okay. And they said, quite frankly, not enough premier guys have gotten – Tony Pollard at the time was the only premier guy that had gotten hurt. Not enough premier guys have gotten hurt. So what did, what did Roger Goodell and, and the, the group do? They looked at the play with the highest instance per play of injury, which is the kickoff, okay? It's the highest instance per kickoff. It is like the 97th highest instance per game. Or actual play, right? So it's yep. the highest instance per kickoff. They go, oh, we're going to have a fair catch now, and we're making the game safer. But reality, the reality is that had that had almost a negligible impact on the safety of the NFL. Whereas this would have had a, a monumental impact. The fact was they didn't want to put invest time in it until more premier guys got hurt. And now that it has, I'm sure they're going to look at it. So it's it it is a for for. For J.J. Watt and the guys out there, are like, we're taking – Richard Sherman said this, like, we're taking violence out of football and this and that. Like, I'm 100% with you most of the time. This one, I don't know how to get rid of it. I don't know if you're going to get fined or 50, but I'm just saying, just from a physics standpoint, this one is a real problem. Like, this can break lower body, uh, like, fib- tibia fibulas really, really easy.
1: Yeah. With, with players getting hurt and being an impact. And it sounds like Roger Goodell is always, already very much against it now. So my guess is we will see something legislated on it. It'll just be more interesting to see how they actually go about doing that. Mike, amazing stuff as always uh, anything else you want to chat about any final plugs or uh, otherwise tell us where we can find your work on the way out.
2: Yeah. On my block podcast is out previewing this game. It's uh, on the process to perform channel on YouTube. You can check me out. Wall 68 on Twitter. Uh, process to perform on instagram and uh yeah man thanks for having me
1: on Andy, always fun always fun of course make sure to like and comment on those mike wall videos as yes. well we always appreciate that uh you can follow me at andy herman nfl again at mike wall 68 that's going to do it for us today but until next time and as always go pack go